Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. So I'm back after two weeks. Last weekend I was in Atlanta, Georgia, so just um, visiting um, some friends as well as going around town with my girlfriends. So I didn't obviously get to do this show. I wasn't in town, but it is good to be back because I have three new movies to review for you. One that is brand new and the other two that have been out for a while. But I'm going to start like I usually do with the one that is the newest. And the first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you, which is the newest film to come out this week, is Home Team. This is a movie that premiered on January 28th, 2022 on Netflix. It is a Netflix original. It is a movie that's brought to you by Happy Madison Productions, which makes some other people, most especially movie critics, want to run the other way. And the fact that it stars Kevin James and co-stars Taylor Lautner and Rob Schneider doesn't make it the most hopeful movie that you might see on Netflix, but it actually is pretty good. And probably because it has some new talent in the director and the writer's chairs. This is a movie that is directed by Charles and Daniel Kinane, who I hope I'm pronouncing their name right. It's either Kinane or Kinani. I don't exactly know, but they are two out of eight filmmaking brothers who have collaborated as co-directors for this film, which I believe is their feature film debut. The reason I say I believe is because there's one other movie that is to their credit that's called Saving Bill Murray. And usually on IMDb, it says it's a short, but this one says it isn't, but A, it sounds like a short, and B, there's only about six or seven people who are acting in it, one of whom, unfortunately, to my knowledge, is not Bill Murray himself. Uh, the movie is also directed by, excuse me, the movie is also written by Chris Titone and Keith Bloom, both of whom are making their feature film debuts as writers. But the people who are acting on screen are Happy Madison regulars, especially Kevin James. And unlike... I think every single Happy Madison production film out there, Home Team is actually based on a true story. It is the story about New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton, who coaches his son's sixth grade football team after Sean Payton was suspended for the entire 2012 season as a result of his role in the Saints' Bounty Gate scandal. And for those of you who don't remember, uh, the Bounty Gate scandal, also known as the New Orleans Saint Bounty Scandal was an incident in which members of the New Orleans Saints team of the of uh, the National Football League were accused of paying out bonuses or bounties for injuring opposing team players and the management of the New Orleans Saint particularly the coaches paid dearly for this for example um under Roger Goodell who is a relatively controversial uh, member of the National Football League, but he is the league commissioner. Defensive coordinator Greg Williams was suspended indefinitely, although this would be overturned the following year. And head coach Sean Payton, who in this movie is portrayed by Kevin James, was suspended for the entire 2012 season. So not knowing exactly what to do with himself after being suspended for the entire 2012 season, 
Sean Payton returns to his hometown in um, northwestern Texas to reconnect with his 12-year-old son by coaching his Pop Warner football team. And sort of in Bad News Bears fashion, this Pop Warner football team basically sucks. When Sean Payton returns to his Texas hometown, they are being coached by a competent coach by the name of Troy Lambert, who in this movie is played by Taylor Lautner, who actually is pretty good in this film. And they're also coached by a kind of goofy, slovenly guy by the name of Mitch Bizzone, who's played by Gary Valentine, who, when I first saw him, I actually thought Kevin James was playing a double role. But as it turns out, Kevin James and Gary Valentine may not be actually related. But Kevin James in this film is not um, incompetent. I think he actually is pretty good. And a lot of people dismiss Kevin James as being, you know, a loser in his movies, but I liked him when he was on King of Queens and I liked him in some movies he was in like Hitch. I can't exactly say that the movies he's been in that have been produced by Happy Madison Productions have been great per se, but if I'm looking for a movie that's kind of goofy fun, like for example, Paul Blart Mall Cop, I kind of put aside my film critic uh, inhibitions and just kind of enjoy the film for what it is. Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, I remember back in 2014, made a bunch of lists for worst film of the year. I actually thought it was okay, and I do think that Kevin James brings a kind of maturity to uh, some of his roles, even when that maturity is not necessarily required. Home Team being a Happy Madison production and one that co-stars Rob Schneider, Rob Schneider's uh, role in this film is as um, Sean Payton's son's stepfather, who is the stereotypical hipster. He has a a man bun. He's always talking about um, eating vegan stuff. And coming from Rob Rob Schneider, a lot of his lines made my eyes roll. But to Rob Schneider's credit, he's not playing a negative ethnic stereotype like he's done in several other Happy Madison productions, probably least notably, and I say least notably because this is the most shameful, when he was in another uh, Kevin James movie, which was uh, the one which he was in with Adam Sandler, where uh, he and Kevin James play firefighters who are uh, getting married in order to get certain benefits. I forgot the name of the film, but Rob Schneider plays a negative Japanese stereotype that's probably the most shameful since Mickey Rooney's, Rooney's part in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And just because Rob Schneider does have Southeast Asian uh, blood in him does not make the ethnic stereotype any more shameful. So to Rob Schneider's credit, he's not playing characters that are particularly flagrantly offensive, but he is still playing semi-obnoxious characters, but I can kind of feel him getting out of that. But in any event, Home Team is a film about underdogs who, with the right kind of coaching, make it to the big game. And as far as sports movies go, this one is probably the most predictable, even more predictable than, than say, 
The Waterboy or the remake of The Longest Yard, both of which I thought were competent films. But I did like the fact that the gross-out humor in this film was kind of unexpected the way it played out. It wasn't necessarily burp jokes or fart jokes. There were some jokes that were made at some of the heavier kids' expenses. Like, for instance, there's one kid in this film who orders pizza in the middle of practice. But that's the extent of the fat jokes, I think, to this film's credit. But there actually is one scene involving involving vomiting that I kind of saw coming because it involves Rob Schneider's character. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens, why all these kids start vomiting, but once Rob Schneider's character comes in and sets the scene up like he does, you know it's going to end like that, but the way it actually plays out with these kids vomiting in the middle of a game, it actually was quite funny. And you can call me somebody who has a particularly sick sense of humor, but I did actually enjoy it. So the movie home team is a Happy Madison production. If you don't like a lot of Adam Sandler's films or the ones in which he produces, I think you you probably will stay away from this one. But I think as far as the laziness and the ethnic stereotyping as well as the lowbrow burp and fart jokes that for which Happy Madison productions are known, Home Team is actually an improvement. There is one scene where there's gross-out humor, as I said. It does involve vomiting, but I think it was actually played out very cleverly, and it actually was funny, particularly somebody with a sick and twisted sense of humor like mine. So I think the reason that Home Team may be an improvement over Happy Madison production movies is because of the relatively new filmmaking talent that was behind the scenes. Granted, you have some old Happy Madison production um, veterans here, Taylor Lautner, Kevin James, Rob Schneider, and Jackie Sandler, who is Adam Sandler's wife, who she doesn't appear in any other movies besides Happy Madison production movies. And the truth is, she's not a very good actress. But... Um, I, I can't say she was very good in this, but she played kind of the role you would expect her to play in this, and there's really nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where she's going to be front and center, and if she is front and center in a movie, Happy Madison Productions or not, she's going to have to earn that, and I don't think she's really earned that yet, but she might be on her way to it. But Home Team, as I said, is hindered by its predictability and plot, as well as the stigma of it being a Happy Madison Productions movie, but I actually did enjoy it more than I thought I would. It did have some evident flaws, but I do think with the new talent that's behind the scenes, mixed in with the old talent that's on screen, it might actually show some promise for future Happy Madison Production movies, be it on Netflix or in theaters. But Home Team was good for what it was. For a film that was released in January, it's actually pretty good. I laughed a few times when I saw this film, especially during the gross-out scene towards the end of the film. I thought it worked as well as a movie like this could have worked. So for that reason, Home Team gets my rating of a checkout. I do think that Kevin James does work in this film very well as Sean Payton. Again, I'm not a huge New Orleans Saints fan, but from what I know about Sean Payton and the story behind this, it is based on a true story, but you can tell from some of the um, underdog sports tropes that 
They were probably added into this film for storytelling effects. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. But as far as Happy Madison production movies go, Home Team was actually a big improvement because it knew when to insert the gross-out humor when it did. The ethnic stereotyping was was significantly reduced from some of the worst Happy Madison production movies. And for that reason, I do think Home Team does get a pass. And if you're looking for a good football movie, you you could look somewhere else. But if you come across Home Team, I don't think you will be disappointed for what this movie is. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Hotel Transylvania Transformania, probably better known as Hotel Transylvania 4. It is a 2022 American computer animated adventure comedy, which of course is the sequel to the Hotel Transylvania movies, the last of which came out in 2018. That one was Hotel Transylvania 3 Summer Vacation, which I got to be honest, um, I did see it and I did enjoy it for what it was, but I honestly don't remember too much about it. Not as much as I remember about the first and second Hotel Transylvania movies, but this is one of the few movie franchises or actually few movies involving Adam Sandler that was not released by Happy Madison Productions. It's actually a com- uh, a, a combination of Sony Pictures Animation and Columbia Pictures. And unlike the last three Hotel Transylvania movies, this Hotel Transylvania movie, Transformania, Transformania, was released exclusively on Amazon Prime Video and released by Amazon Studios. So far, it is the final installment to the Hotel Transylvania franchise, but... It may not be the last, but one of the things that actually differentiates Hotel Transylvania from the other, uh, excuse me, Hotel Transylvania Transformania, I'm just going to call it Hotel Transylvania 4, what differentiates itself from the other three Hotel Transylvania movies is that, first of all, it's directed by Derek Dryman and Jennifer Kluska, who are actually making their respective feature-length directorial debuts. And it is also uh, featuring several voice actors reprising their roles from the other movies. For example, Andy Samberg uh, reprises his role as uh, Johnny Loren, who is Mavis Dracula's husband. Mavis Dracula is reprised in this film by Selena Gomez. Catherine Hahn reprises her role as uh, Dracula's wife, Erica Van Helsing, as well as other people who have reprised their roles, like Steve Buscemi as Wayne the Werewolf, David Spade as Griffin the Invisible Man. Um, let's see who else. Uh, there was one other actor, Keegan-Michael Key, who reprises his role as Murray, the ancient mummy, who was originally reprised in the first two um, Hotel Transylvania movies by CeeLo Green. But after some scandalous 
um, affairs that in in which CeeLo took part, in which he is canceled, I would probably say unfairly, Keegan-Michael Key took over, uh, beginning in the last film. But you might have noticed that I didn't mention Adam Sandler or Kevin James, who previously played the roles of Dracula and Frankenstein, respectively, in the last three movies. Because, interestingly enough, Adam Sandler and Kevin James did not reprise their roles in this film. Now, Fran Drescher reprises her role as Eunice, who is Frankenstein's wife, but for some reason that I don't know, Dracula in this film is uh, voiced by Brian Hull, who does sound a lot like Adam Sandler, and Brad Abril um, provides the voice of Frankenstein. And he sounds enough like Kevin James, but I don't think enough so that Frankenstein in this film got as many lines as Kevin James did. But now that I've told you about the cast of the film and how I'm kind of mystified why Adam Sandler himself didn't reprise his role, let me just get into the plot of the film. So the movie opens up on the 125th anniversary of Hotel Transylvania. And Mavis, Dracula's daughter, overhears Dracula's plans to retire and leave the hotel to her and Johnny. Now, the problem with this is that Johnny, unlike Mavis, Dracula, and all the other um, supernatural creatures that come to Hotel Transylvania every year, Johnny is still mortal. Now, I think (laughs) Dracula could probably take care of that by sucking the blood out of Johnny, But for some reason, that hasn't exactly happened. And Dracula begins to get cold feet when Johnny finds out from Mavis about Dracula's plans to turn the Hotel Transylvania over to him. Johnny is very enthusiastic, but uh, in Dracula's eyes, enthusiastic to a fault. And worried about Johnny ruining the hotel, Dracula decides to pull back on his offer. And with Van Helsing's help, uh, I guess apparently in this cinematic universe, Van Helsing is Dracula's adversary, but he did not actually kill Dracula in this universe. That is very much unlike the Bram Stoker um, novel. But anyway, Van Helsing, who in this film is voiced by Jim Gaffigan, which is a great uh, casting choice there, decides to help Johnny using a ray that turns people into monsters and turns monsters into human beings. So Johnny turns from a human being into a dragon-like creature, and ultimately Dracula turns into a mortal being himself. Unfortunately... Uh, There's a mishap that happens where all the supernatural monster creatures here, including Frankenstein, the mummy, the blob, the invisible man, and the uh, werewolf, also turn into human beings as well. So the crystal that's in this uh, device, uh, this ray of that was invented by Van Helsing has a crystal in it that by for a cl- pot, plot convenience sake, but not for the character's convenience sake, uh, is broken. So they have to go into the South American jungle in order to retrieve the diamond and get the ray to turn everybody back to their old selves again. And you might be thinking that 
Johnny would be having the time of his life being turned into a dragon and becoming a scary creature like all the rest of his friends. And you would be right, but there is a bit of a caveat because of um, him turning into a monster. And the caveat is a bit contrived in and not particularly well explained in this movie, but I did actually think that this movie is a good um, segue throughout the Hotel Transylvania franchise. And the reason I'm so surprised that Adam Sandler and Kevin James, particularly Adam Sandler, did not return for this movie is because I would say other than Uncut Gems, the Hotel Transylvania movies are the best films that Adam Sandler has done over the last 10 years. Even Hotel Transylvania 2, which I might think is probably the weakest of the four movies, I still thought that was better than, for example, Jack and Jill, That's My Boy, Pixels, and other duds that Adam Sandler has starred in over the last decade or so. So I don't know why Adam Sandler backed out of that, but, but truly, this is his loss. Is this the best of the Hotel Transylvania movies? No, but first of all, it continues the uh, fluid animation and the energy of the other Hotel Transylvania movies. I did think it actually had a more memorable plot and several other memorable subplots than the Hotel Transylvania 3, for example. And also when the the horror movie creatures turn into mortal humans, especially when the invisible man turns visible. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. The, the way that, uh, the characters looked and also the way the characters reacted towards their new human being selves, whether they looked ugly or they actually looked pretty good, but the way their spouses reacted to them turning into human beings was also very funny. So I would have actually liked to have seen, Transformania be the third movie of the of the franchise rather than the fourth, but the third one's already been made, and I remember I actually liked the third one. I liked it for its energy as well as for its introduction of new characters. I just don't really remember much about the plot of the film, only because I've seen it once. So Hotel Transylvania 3 was not as memorable as the first two movies, but I do think that Hotel Transylvania Transformania, which you might know as Hotel Transylvania 4, was, I think, an improvement over the plot of the second one, and it was more memorable than the plot of the third one. Would I say it was better than the first one? No, but I do think, as far as fourth movies go, this one is still a very encouraging uh, trend amongst the Hotel Transylvania uh, movies. It would have been better, I think, if this film had come out around Halloween, and it probably was going to come out last Halloween if it hadn't been for the pandemic, but I think for what it is, it is entertaining. There are some parts that were screamingly funny, and truthfully, Adam Sandler and Kevin James both missed out on being in this film, but... I do give Hotel Transylvania Transformania my rating of a checkout. I do think it had the energy as well as the fluid animation animation of several of the other Hotel Transylvania movies. I'll probably rank it second amongst the fourth uh, movies 
It does have some weaknesses here and there, but I think what it gets right in terms of visual gags, it really gets right. And I'll say it, I said it a bunch of times before, and I'll say it again to close out this review. Adam Sandler and Kevin James could have reprised their roles, and they really missed out on doing so. But why they decided not to reprise their roles in this and everyone else from the previous movies basically did, I don't know. I may never know, but Adam Sandler and Kevin James would could have been in this film and it wouldn't have hurt them as a matter of fact it would have helped them in terms of their repertoire over the last 10 years Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Bell. Bell is a movie that was originally or originally premiered on July 15th, 2021 at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival. And this is one of those films that you hear about that received a standing ovation And according to my research, the standing ovation for this movie lasted 14 minutes. And I'm, I'm very curious about people who attend the Cannes film festival and actually take part in a standing ovation that lasts longer than two minutes, because I've been to shows where there have been standing ovations and usually those, uh, and by shows, I mean, live shows. You know, for example, uh, Broadway shows where the standing ovation lasts a long time, but at most it lasts five or six minutes. Why these uh, Cannes Film Festival film goers stand up for 14 whole minutes? I don't exactly know. I get tired after probably 10 minutes, but eh. and, and that's really stretching it for me, too. But this movie was released theatrically in Japan on July 16th, 2021. And here in the States, it was released um, nationwide, not just in art house movie theaters, but also in um, mainstream multiplexes, as well as some IMAX theaters on January 14th, 2022. And this is a film, Bell, that I believe will be nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards because it is dazzling how good the animation is in this film. Now, in the United States, in its English version, it's known as Belle, B-E-L-L-E, which is a move, which is a which is a word that means beauty. In Japan, it was released as, and I'll do my best because I don't speak Japanese, Ryo to Sobakasu no Hime, which literally means the dragon and the freckled princess. And it is, as you might expect from its English translation of its Japanese name, it is a take, a virtual take on the French fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. It does take place in a virtual social media world that is so beautiful I wish that Facebook and Instagram would step up its game, but it is a technological retelling of Beauty and the Beast. I'm not going to tell you who the voice cast is because I do not know any of these actors. They're all Japanese. They're all literally and figuratively foreign to me. But 
The movie is about a young 17-year-old high school student by the name of Suzu Naoto, who lives in the rural Kochi prefecture of Japan. So she lives in a relatively uh, rural part of Japan, although uh, what's rural in Japan would probably be the suburbs to me. But when she was young, she was close with her mother, um, but her mother actually risked her life to save a child who was not related to her. And while the child was saved, her mother, unfortunately, uh, was killed while trying to save this child. So this traumatic experience caused young Suzu to both resent her mother for abandoning her for a stranger's child, and she also becomes unable to sing, unlike when she was a kid where her mother encouraged her uh, her musical talents. And she becomes alienated from most of her classmates, with the exception of one childhood friend. And also, she begins to retreat into this social media virtual world, which is called The You. And she signs on to there for the first time and creates a beautiful avatar with freckles that she names Belle. And I guess apparently freckles are unfashionable in Japan. They're not particularly fashionable in the United States either, but I guess freckles on an avatar show a certain amount of vulnerability. And she enters this online world, and with the help of one of her best girlfriends, she becomes a singing sensation in the U. And I I don't quite know exactly how... That works because I think to a degree, everybody wants to be famous, but if a lot of people go into this virtual world trying to be famous, then everybody's famous. And if everybody's famous, then no one is famous. But in this world, Suzu becomes this avatar alter ego named Belle, and she hosts these virtual concerts that are big hits until a dragon avatar who's simply called the dragon makes his appearance and ruins the concert. And the dragon is one of these avatars that other avatars can fight to get out of this concert, but he can withstand the battle, um, the the fights of just about every avatar that comes into play, which immediately reminded me, by the way, of the South Park episode, Make Love, Not Warcraft. And when the plot of this movie begins to focus around who this dragon avatar is, I immediately thought of the fat guy who sits in front of his computer in the South Park episode where everybody's saying that he's this mighty warrior. And then you see this guy who's probably at least 300 pounds and also has snack stains on his shirt and wears glass and also has a receding hairline just behind his computer, just basically clicking a mouse. And there's not really any kind of warrior qualities to him. The fact that this is a love story that very closely follows Beauty and the Beast, the revelation of who the dragon is, is not that guy from South Park. But if it was... I would have laughed my ass off. But of course, there is a certain kind of mystique, this being an anime film about who this character is. And I'm not going to exactly say who this dragon character is, but I did like how Belle went away from 
Hollywood tropes, like many anime movies, either family-friendly or not, tend to do. I think uh, Japan has its own Hollywood uh, within the uh, city of Tokyo. And unlike a lot of Hollywood films, Japanese films, whether they're animated or not, tend to have you guessing. And of course, there are a cer- there is a certain amount of mystery that comes behind the identity of this dragon avatar. But I think in Hollywood films, it would be somebody who you would almost instantly expect, especially amongst Suzu's circle of friends. I might be spoiling something when I say it's not exactly what you think it's going to be, but the revolu- but the revelation of who the character is is original and it also creates a very natural plot development for the character of Suzu as she breaks out of this bell avatar through whom she's living vicariously and begins to stand on her own outside of the social media world. On the downside, I do think Bell runs a little too long at two hours. And I do, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I do think that's part of what I have to do when I speak um, consistently for an hour. Sometimes my um, fluids within my throat get the best of me, and that's one of those times. But getting back to the movie Bell, uh, first of all, the animation in the film is beautiful, especially the you, the social media world. And actually, when this film was released in the United States, it wasn't dubbed in English like many popular uh, Japanese animated films are, and I kind of wish it was, because even though I appreciate the authenticity of hearing the Japanese voice actors, I did have to read the bottom of the screen, and while I don't normally have a problem with that, unlike other uh, Western moviegoers, I felt like I had to read the bottom of the screen to find out what was going on, and I was missing some of the stellar animation that was on the big screen. So I would actually like to see this film eventually get dubbed into English, and maybe I could see that for the Blu-ray or the streaming release. And by the way, if I get the chance to see this in Blu-ray or 4K, I am taking it because this is one of those films that is well worth seeing in 4K. The animation, not so much the live, uh, not the live action, the um, real world, it still is animated, but the real world scenes that are outside of the you social media universe are very good, but the scenes inside the social media universe are stunning. And I'm not just talking about the avatars, I'm talking about the entire atmosphere is beautiful. And it was well worth seeing on the big screen, but I would love to see this in 4K as well. So even though I do think that the plot dragged just a little bit, including one uh, subplot involving some of Suzu's high school classmates in her very small inner circle, I did think that some of the scenes outside of the social media universe actually were surprisingly funny. Uh, particularly the interactions of the characters. But I do think some of the scenes could have been taken out. But in spite of that, I did really enjoy Belle. I thought it was a beautifully animated film, probably one of the most beautifully animated films of 2021, period. And for that reason, Belle gets my rating of a knockout. 
It is certainly one of the best films about a social media universe that I've ever seen. And who knows, this could be a social media universe very much like Ready Player One, um, which envisions a virtual reality social media universe that I hope to get to see in my lifetime. But as social media universes, high tech or not, can get dangerous, I hope not to get too caught up in it, but I would eventually like to see it 5, 10, 20 years from now. And movies like Bell, as well as Ready Player One, gets me really excited about what these universes could hold. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for this uh, show, I almost said for this movie, will this show be made into a movie? Maybe, but I don't know if it's qualified to be made into a movie. Maybe it's one where I'm played by Timothy Chalamet. Now that would be something. That would be a movie I'd watch. I don't know if that would be a movie that you guys would watch, but (laughs) in any event... Now it's time for me to give you my segment of what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to be released in theaters for the weekend of February 4th, 2022. The biggest movie that is going to be released in theaters that weekend is Jackass Forever. This is the fourth Jackass movie. The original Jackass movie, which was simply called Jackass the Movie, which was based directly on the uh, show that premiered on MTV in the year 2000 and took the year by, uh, took the um, world by storm, even though it depicted a bunch of people doing really stupid things. That film came out 20 years ago, if you can believe it. So Jackass Forever also has many of the other people who uh, comprise the team of jackasses, including but not limited to Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, Chris Pontius, Jason Weeman Acuno, and they are coming back to do Jackass Forever. And after 11 years, because the last uh, Jackass film, which I think was in 3D, uh, came out in 2011, the Jackass crew is back for what they say is their final crusade. Now, whenever whenever anybody says, you know, this is their final movie or, you know, the, the final time you'll see this character, I don't entirely believe them. For some people like Tyler Perry and his character of Medea, I want to believe him. For example, just getting off topic a little bit, Tyler Perry said that the movie A Medea Family Funeral was going to be the last time he would portray Medea. 
And I rejoiced because I hope it is because Tyler Perry is a very good actor in every other movie in which he has not written or directed. And he's acted even in the movie. Don't look up, which I hated. I considered his acting to be very good. He does not need Medea anymore, but lo and behold, in one month's time, he is coming out with another Medea movie that will not be released in theaters, even though I don't think um, it would hurt because people actually pay money to see those stupid films. But his movie will be a Netflix original, and God help us all. (laughs) I can't exactly say the same about Jackass Forever because... The Jackass movies are basically the Jackass show just put on the big screen. It just has the benefit of, unlike being on MTV, that they have the freedom of the R rating. Plus, who watches MTV anymore? Seriously. Even if they brought back Jackass to MTV, nobody watches MTV anymore because MTV is just crap. And I'm not just talking about the fact that they don't play music videos anymore. They gave up on the music video about 20 years ago. I'm talking about the fact that every time I'm at my girlfriend's house and I'm flipping through the, through the, um, the, the channels on the guide and I come across MTV, it's just a marathon of ridiculousness. Ridiculousness is America's Funniest Home Videos for Dumbasses. It is basically jackass meets America's Funniest Home Videos minus the humor. And I look at this ridiculousness marathon and I think to myself, why are you're not even trying MTV? You might as well just go black. And by go black, I mean, they should just go off the air because MTV sucks. But, um, and in terms of movies, I think MTV films has actually been consistent. If I haven't exactly liked their films, I've at least been fascinated by them. So they've actually been doing pretty well with the Jackass franchise theatrically. And I can't tell you the the plot of the film because it doesn't have a plot. It's just the Jackass crew, Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, and all the rest of those guys basically doing really dumb stunts. But it's kind of fascinating seeing them do dumb stunts as well. So Jackass Forever is a film which I will see in theaters, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. The other movie that is subject to be released in theaters is one that's called The Black Phone, and this is a horror film. And the poster of the film does not show a phone, let alone a black phone. It shows a guy wearing a top hat, glasses, and this mask, either a mask or he's wearing uh, makeup, But he has one of these really creepy smiles, kind of like Venom. So I'm very curious to see this film as well. I don't know if I actually will. But here's the the plot synopsis of The Black Phone. After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, which gives me chills as I read that too, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. Okay, that gives me even more chills. This may be actually a good film. So The Black Phone is a horror film. It is rated R because, let's face it, that is a chilling topic. It stars Ethan Hawke, which gives the movie a lot of promise because Ethan Hawke is an excellent actor, Jeremy Davies, James Ransone, and Madeline McGraw. I know who Jeremy Davies is. Obviously, I know who Ethan Hawke is. I don't know the other actors in the film, 
So this is a movie I will try to see. I, I can't guarantee whether I will see it or not, but I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that is subject to be released in theaters and, and is probably going to be released in a theater near you on February 4th, 2022, is Moonfall. And this is a, a science fiction film that is directed by Roland Emmerich. And Roland Emmerich is the director who is German. And he brought us uh, such films, which he's directed, that have been usually commercial hits, but have not been critical favorites. Movies such as Universal Soldier, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, Stargate, starring Kurt Russell, which is a movie I actually wanted to see, but I didn't get the chance. He also directed Independence Day from 1996, which was a huge box office hit. Godzilla from 1998, which was known amongst Godzilla fans as Gino, G-I-N-O, Godzilla in name only. And I really don't blame them for feeling this way. This was a movie that was slated to be a box office hit, but it ended up being a critical and commercial failure. It actually did gross more money than it cost to make, but based on the expectations of how good this movie was going to do, it flopped. And it, it wasn't a very good film. It was fun to see on the big screen, but all in all, it was pretty bad. He also directed The Patriots, starring Mel Gibson, the climate change disaster movie The Day After Tomorrow. He directed a film called 10,000 B.C., he also directed the film 2012, which took seriously the Mayan calendar's idea that the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012, and nearly 10 years later, we're still here. And the other films he directed include White House Down, which is one of those films that I did not like and still is keeping the undeserved movie career of Gerard Butler afloat. Also, he directed Independence Day Resurgence, which was more like Independence Day Regurgence. And he also directed one film called Midway in 2019, which I got to be honest, I have not actually seen. It's a World War II uh, epic, but I haven't actually seen it. But uh, apparently it got some good reviews. So this film, Moonfall, is one where he returns to his science fiction roots, the movie stars Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, and Michael Pena. And in this movie, a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. With mere weeks before impact and the world on the brink of annihilation, so apparently the, the moon is headed towards Earth when it's knocked off its collision course. I just have to laugh at that. But as the Earth is on the brink of annihilation, NASA executive and former astronaut Joe Fowler is convinced she has the key to saving us all, but only one astronaut from her past, Brian Harper, and a conspiracy theorist, Casey Houseman, believe her. These unlikely heroes will mount an impossible last-ditch mission into space, leaving behind everyone they love only to find that they might have prepared for the wrong mission. Well, Roland Emmerich has disappointed me in the past. This movie sounds like a great plot, although the idea of the moon being knocked off its orbit and headed towards Earth, potentially killing us all, makes me laugh. Now, granted, if the moon was knocked off its orbit and did head towards Earth, life as we know it would be 
potentially screw would be effectively screwed unless you're on a rocket headed out of earth's atmosphere, which let's face it. I won't be because I'm not a world leader or a tech billionaire or anything like that. But this sounds like a very interesting concept, scientifically unrealistic. I mean, the moon will never head towards the earth and destroy us all. Hear how loudly that I knock on wood <laughs> because I, I do think that the, the world will eventually end, hopefully after I die, but it could definitely happen. Hopefully it's not the way it does in Don't Look Up. But anyway, Moonfall is a movie that I will make my best effort to see. And it definitely says something how I will go out of my way to see Jackass forever. I may not necessarily do the same thing with Moonfall, but I will do my best to see it. And I will let you know what I think on next week's show. So as for movies that are coming out on streaming, the the site that I normally go to to check out movies that are premiering on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and other popular streaming services are is only giving me the films that are coming out or have come out in January. It hasn't updated to February yet, so I have to do a manual Google search while I have time uh, while I have time while I'm doing the show. So as you are listening to me, I'm doing live research on the air. I hope that impresses you, uh, to a certain extent. Uh, Netflix does not do a good job. The, the company letting people know what's coming out next, either on their, uh, website or on streaming. So I have to consult some other independent sites, particularly those that, um, divulge in, uh, entertainment news. And I also have to look at some of the, they also don't, these independent sites don't do a good job depicting or telling you what's a movie versus what's a series, because I want to know about movies, not about series series come out all the time, but I don't, um, really know what movies are coming out on Netflix unless they say this is a movie that's coming out on Netflix. So let's check out, let's restrict this to movies that are coming out on Netflix. Let's start with that on February 4th, which is a Friday, which is a day that most movies come out. Um, let alone movies that are Netflix originals. So as far as series goes, I really have to mentally segregate the series from the movies that are coming out. So on February 4th, there is a movie that's coming out on Netflix that is a Netflix original. And it's called Loop La Peta. If you think it's a foreign film, that's because it is. It is a Netflix original, but it's an Indian movie that's co-produced with Sony and directed by Akash Bhatia. And it's about a girl racing against time to save her boyfriend, which sounds like about 10 other Bollywood or Indian films that I know, because movies that come out of India are not necessarily Bollywood. Bollywood uh, films are ones that are made in a certain region of India, but they may not necessarily be, but Indian films that come out are not necessarily uh, Bollywood films. But there's another film that's coming out that's a Spanish language movie, and it's called Through My Window, or in a Spanish um, 
title. It's A Traves de Mi Ventana. And this is a movie about a woman who is uncontrollably in love with her neighbor and stops at nothing to make him fall in love with her. I don't know if this is a comedy. I don't know if this is an action film, which is about a seriously disturbed woman. I don't know, but I know that it's a Netflix film, and I know that it's coming out on Friday, February 4th, 2022. But I can't even tell you if I'm going to see this movie. But if you want to see it for yourself, there it is. And if you don't want to see it, well, you can just uh, pass me up in terms of my suggestions. So let's see if there's anything else that's coming out the week of... um, January 31st through February 4th, 2022. There are a bunch of movies that are coming out on Netflix that are not Netflix originals. There are some movies that are excellent that are coming out on Netflix. For example, Batman Begins, which was the first chapter of the Dark Knight franchise. That's coming out. Um, And I don't know if the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises is currently on Netflix, but... You can check it out for yourself, whether it is or it isn't. There's a movie called Donnie Brasco, which came out in 1997, which is a cult biopic movie, which I've seen probably about five times. It is an excellent film. Both Al Pacino and Johnny Depp do really well in the film. There's also a CG animated film called Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, which is a a CGI animated film that is brought to you by Zack Snyder. And this is um, a brilliantly animated movie. I can't exactly say that I remember the plot of the film, but I do remember the animation because I saw this on Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray animation was flat-out beautiful. In fact, I may see it on on Blu-ray again sometime soon, but it begs to be seen in high definition. There is actually a Netflix original that's coming out on February 1st, and it's called... My Best Friend and Frank. And this is a Dutch biopic. It's not a documentary, but it's a biopic on the friendship between a young Dutch girl and Anne Frank. Because um, Anne Frank has actually been in the news recently because there is some alleged biographical information that there may have been some people or a person who sold... Anne Frank and her family out to the Nazis, which resulted in Anne Frank, of course, perishing. Of, and the rest is history. And I do have to confess that, of course, I'm a college-educated person who has a has two uh, grad school degrees, but I've never actually read the Diary of Anne Frank. To some people, that's required reading. I have to uh, read that book sometimes. Um, it is on my seemingly never-ending list of books that I have to read. And honestly, life is too short and there are way too many books. I've said the same thing about movies too, but books are, of course, media on which you have to really, really concentrate. And I do concentrate on movies as well, but if my mind drifts for five minutes in a movie, it doesn't really make a difference other than my uh, recollection of the film. But books you really have to pay attention to and they they require a a lot of mental focus and there's nothing wrong with that. But of course I, I will do my best to see my best friend, Anne Frank 
probably before I read the Diary of Anne Frank. I have to read that. And if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.